0: Welcome back, my friends, to The Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders and others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Houghton and Paul Lewis. So, you're in the middle of Antarctica? Oh, this is the North Pole.
1: Hmm. This is
0: Uh, Base Camp 1 at the North Pole. Hmm. New York is
2: 8,385 miles away. And that's a cool. reference to the fact that today it, with the windshield, it is seven degrees outside. Uh, and that's Fahrenheit, not that wonderful Celsius, that would be. It would be great <laughs> if it was 7C. I don't know what that is in C negative4, maybe something.
1: Yeah. It's cold still.: Yes, yeah, cold. Here we go. I it think that- I- the coldness just changes the measurement. Oh my God.
2: No, I did that wrong. Hang on. That almost got, that that got really bad. It is negative 13.9 degrees Celsius.
1: That's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) That's just, that's just a blistery February morning.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very similar here. It's 75.
1: (laughs) 75. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Nice. Are you still on the, on that place, Paul? you came back home
1: i came back home so i did go to our uh, to our winter white house uh which is uh, which is blue mountain we did two days of skiing the kids have never skied before so that was a fun experience uh we did stay on the greens uh blues are awfully high at blue mountain at least for new <laughs> beginner skiers um and the kids fell several times but it was a good experience still pretty expensive skiing is not you know it's not not a cheap family experience but We need to figure out a new way to do that. Own all your your own gear, right? And it's already depreciated. You're fine. But if you try to rent and get ski tickets and get you know a newbie uh, ski school, that 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 adds up quickly. Oh yeah,
2: yeah yeah. I can I I can imagine. I don't ski. I'm the guy that stays at the lodge and prepares <laughs> right. the food.
0: And the drinks
2: so that when you come in broken and beaten, knocking mud and snow off of yourself and, right. and your crap and you, you're exhausted and you throw your, your gear in the corner and kind of curse, I hand you a nice hot toddy and serve a wonderful meal. That's what I do.
1: Well, we did all this before Christmas, specifically before today, because my oldest went in this morning for a four wisdom tooth extraction.
0: So that is very risky to actually take all the wisdom tooth at the same time.
1: That, that is the procedure, at least in Ontario, to make that happen. So that was an hour and a half. I waited in the, I, because of COVID, I waited in the parking lot um, and then went and picked her up. And in the last two hours ish, she is yet to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> My so guess is
2: the goofy gas? Did they give the her goo- goofy yep. gas?
1: Yep, 100%. And she's literally not stopped talking. So at least she couldn't talk to us. She had to talk to herself.
0: Are you recording it? Because that's excellent footage for when the teenagers try to do something else. We did capture a variety of footage. We we
1: captured her drive home and her first attempt at a beverage. (laughs) Just hilarious. We had to bib her up and she had to drink over the sink because the vast majority of it was not going in their mouth.
0: <laughs> I got one of my last ones removed probably about five years ago. Hmm. And it's funny when you can see the videos after the fact. So looking at skiing, really <laughs> cold, how can you secure yourself and be able to have a, Great privacy option, so you don't have a big risk. <laughs> <laughs> so I think no what
1: Carlos is,
2: is getting to is our um, our topic for this week is kind of part two. Uh, the last episode, we discussed our predictions for 2021, and, and the reality is we only got through a few of them. Right. Um you know, we 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 did a great job talking about the edge, talking about data center, talking about cloud, talking about kind of traditional um, crunchy IT topics. Um, but this week, we want to talk, talk about security compliance and risk. And for those who've been paying attention, and maybe for those who haven't been paying attention, there have been some rather massive uh, security issues lately, some rather massive hacks lately, um, that at this, on, on this, you know, blistery December day here rolling up to Christmas, um, you're probably watching as well after that, uh, we still haven't really seen the full exposure from the full context to the full damage done um, and the damage looks to be in the tens of thousands of infected enterprises, um, including many government agencies. So yeah. we're not going to do an after-action. We're not a security podcast, right? We're not going to d- dive deep into the solar wind supply chain hack. Um, however, it is worth having a conversation about what we see. Kind of, how does this? How do we think this affects the mind of the executive? How do we think this affects the industry? Um, and really, you know, how does that pair with the changes we've seen in the compliance and governance space? Um, you know, and what advice do we have around risk? kind of going rolling into 2021. So Paul, do you want to take it away?
1: Sure. So let's take the most obvious in 2020, which is COVID, right? So the most obvious concern, and I literally just had an interview with the CIO this morning on this very topic, and they said their biggest concern, not their biggest expense, but their biggest concern was that they moved from 5% people working at home to 95% people working at home like a pretty dramatic shift. It's not like they, they just had a few dozen in many ways. Uh, and they uh, considered most of their security profile, their cybersecurity profile at the edge as being virus protection and essentially virus protection alone. They had a whole bunch of IPS, IDS kind of technologies on the network. And they felt they, that they had the appropriate amount of network infrastructure but they didn't have any edge infrastructure. So they were worried in a three-week period of time how they were gonna deal with the 95% of their infrastructure, of their endpoints, which was a mix of uh, Linux and Windows and Mac on how are they gonna protect any of that data that was gonna be both consumed and created. And while they were less worried in many ways about corporate data, in other words, what was coming off, let's say their SAP, Uh, they were more concerned over IP, right? They create things, they create uh, products, they create software, and they envisioned that that IP could be stolen if the edge or the endpoints weren't appropriately protected. And they did within 30 days go from a zero edge protection scheme to a pretty dramatic uh, zero trust edge protection scheme and actually introducing an entirely new edge sock um, in a very short period of time because they knew this was the most important the most the biggest potential leak and what they discovered in the first 30 days once it was implemented is that up to 10 percent of their edge devices were already under threat they already had a variety of malware and ransomware attacks within the documents that people accessed through their email and downloaded and installed on in their laptops within 30 days do you have the same kind of stories, Howard? Or? Uh,
2: I mean, my experience is, has been has been uh, nearly identical, right? Um, the conversations that I've had are all about, you know, what does security look like at the edge when the edge is effectively, you know, the hardened can that we created before, we've now cut the lid off of and dumped everything out on the floor.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We still need the same level of security. Um, and yet, you know, the risk is is multiplied you know, if you've got ten thousand people, the risk—the risk that you had before—is multiplied by a thousandfold, not twofold, not threefold, right? I've got a thousand times the things to protect. I'm no longer protecting my edge, yep. right? Which is maybe 10, 10 places. I've now I'm now trying to protect my edge, which is now ten thousand places. So I've I, had the I've had the same issue, and and it really is critical that 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 um, that we start looking at these things um, and really thinking about what we're protecting. But the answer is we're not protecting everything. Protecting everything isn't reasonable, right? Um, and, and I think that's kind of been part of the problem with security leading up to 2020, right? Um, is we really have this laxadaisical attitude to what we're protecting and why we're protecting it. We want to protect the servers. Why? Well, because we don't want all their data stolen. Because we don't want to end up in the news. Because, because, because. But the, but the truth is exactly what you said, right? Zero percent of intellectual property is created on the server. hundred percent of intellectual property is created on the endpoint. Right. Right. And so you have one of two options: you can change that dynamic, or secure the edge. Right. You could do both. Right. And and the reality is, I think the smart play is to do both. I think the smart play really is to take a look at how you create that intellectual property, and really focus on kind of a zero trust device policy more than anything else and say, um, we've determined, especially with COVID, no device can be trusted. And therefore we need to reduce the number of devices that we can establish even a modicum of trust to. um, And the edge device needs to be as dumb as possible, as useless as possible and pull as much of that back to what we would consider our core protection zone as possible. And even then, it would be, you know, layer, layer three of kind of our, our layers of protection zones.
1: Especially since intellectual property is collaborative, right? It's not, you know, one person doesn't design a product. Teams of people design products and that potentially inside and outside of your company, right? You're passing information. So it's not even just the edge, but it's information that's going inside and outside of your organization, in your supply chain, potentially even... Like proof of concepts out into your customers, right? Those, that is a pretty wide potential net of problems when you don't even have a product in the market yet. Especially if we're talking about, let's say uh, software as a service, right? Where you actually want people to try out your technologies, features and functions before it's actually opened up for the public. Like there's, there's massive risk in all those sort of collaborative activities.
2: Well, and, and I think if I look at kind of what's going on, I think next year we're likely to see a a, a large increase in industrial in industrial esp, espionage, right? Right. Um, I think the the Solar Winds hack, the Solar Winds flaw, whatever whatever you know term you want to use to describe it, um, I think is deep and deep enough and broad enough and has affected enough companies. Um, that rolling into 2021, I think we're going to start to see more and more and more industrial espionage, even, mm-hmm. even in the case of, you know, potential M&A activity, um, right? right? I, think, uh, I, I think we're going to see a lot more M&A activity, um, especially as we look to kind of, you know, what the current COVID, um, I- at least U.S. COVID um, bailout plan is. Um, seems to be a total waste of a, a total waste of time effort and tax dollars. Um, and I think it's going to leave a lot of companies that maybe were on the bubble planning on on receiving some 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 you know security from that uh, now in the position where acquisition then becoming an acquisition target looks really good. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot of consolidation among certain industries right I think we're going to see, uh, a, a lot. Uh, I think we're going to see consolidation in airlines, even though I don't know. Even even though I'm not sure how 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 much space there is for that consolidation, right? Like I'd be shocked if like JetBlue survives, if Alaska Airlines survives, if um, if Frontier survives, right? Seeing as Frontier is is not a business airline anyhow, they're a they're a traveler airline, they're a vacation airline, um, and so I think that leaves them rife for acquisition, and and I think. You know, I think we're going to find that that some of these acquisitions are done with a with a larger than normal rate of of what you would otherwise call industrial industrial espionage.
1: And they're not likely to be just corporate uh, takeovers, right? It's quite possible they just buy dying assets, right? They're buying Correct. products and customer lists and current engagements and contracts, not really the people side of that equation, because because if, especially if it's a competitor, they probably do all that work already anyway, right? So they just have to do more of it with new products and new customers and new engagements. Yeah, I, I
2: agree. I think I think that's going to be one of the biggest dangers of m um, and activity in the new year. Um, one of the biggest challenges um, is the, the quantity of carryover in personnel is going to be extremely low, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I think... I think if you were a company being acquired, I think your expectation should be 20%. Right. Right. If I was an employee, if I worked in IT, if I worked in operations, right, um, and I was mid-level and below, all the way down to individual contributor, I would plan 20%, 20%, right? I would look around and go, well, it's likely that four out of five people that I see are no longer going to be here. So maybe, maybe I should, I should be polishing my resume and maybe, I should not plan on being one of the ones to be here.
1: So that's, that's kind of edge type conversation. How about, um, how about AI is that, does that have a different security posture going forward? Uh, I'm I I think, I
2: think absolutely. Right. Um, I think between the EU and the US. 2020 was a hotbed for kind of um, beta, was, was a hotbed for discussion on the ethical use of artificial intelligence and the proper legal use of artificial intelligence and machine learning um, and data science kind of almost as a whole. Um, and 2021 looks to be the year for, for that to become a hot topic of conversation. Right, um, and ethical use is really, 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 really important, especially in artificial intelligence, because AI is today a black box. Right, I put something in, I get something out. What happens in between? I can't actually audit. Right, right. Um, there's a bunch of stuff <laughs> that happens, but in the in the ideal scenario, I don't know why the machine came to that realization. Right, right. I'm relying on the machine to do that. Well, that's a problem, especially when we start making decisions off of that response, right? If we make decisions that affect human beings, then you've increased risk, not decreased risk, if you can't, if you have no explainability. Right. Well, every attempt to add explainability to artificial intelligence intelligence ethics um, requires the ability to explain it to a jury right okay that's the least technically astute audience in the world
1: but i thought or, a every of your peers meant um, everybody in front of you were scientists right scientists
2: right um th- the challenge with that is <laughs> how do you how do you build innovation, not stifle innovation? How do you encourage invention? How do you encourage growth within AI and yet still make it explainable, right. still make it auditable, right? Um, and, and as that question hasn't been answered and as that question is currently being discussed by legislatures who traditionally have no, not little, no exposure to technology, no understanding of technology, um, I, I think 2021 is going to be a very interesting year. And, and to be honest, my advice for 2021 is pay attention to that conversation and ensure you are as vocal as possible with your legislator, right? Ensure you explain how critical it is that, that whatever legislature you belong to, right? Whatever nation you call home um, that that nation does not pass laws that are restrictive to innovation itself. If we restrict innovation, if, if America, if the US restricts innovation, um, we will find ourselves behind China. We will find ourselves behind Russia. We will find ourselves behind, um, I would say, economies or, or pol- um, political policy that is not in our favor, and it will be horribly, horribly bad. I don't mind being, I would prefer not to, but if we were behind Germany, we were be, we were behind the UK, we were behind Canada. Um, I wouldn't find that so critically damaging. But if we fall behind nations that are not, um, you know, that are not not what you could call true allies, um, I think that ultimately will be a problem. And the problem with legislation is it's impossible to fix after the fact. It takes a decade to fix after the fact.
1: So that means you have to treat the assets within your AI process as assets, right? So not only do you have to protect the algorithms you might produce, or at least the augmented algorithms that you might come from the default, you also have to protect uh, in many ways, the training data, right? To say, cause you've taken a whole bunch of internal external data and actually created a whole bunch of attributes and input all that training data to an algorithm. And then you actually also have to produce in many ways, the outcome, right? Oh, what what the explanation of that? Not just the algorithm, but what the what the analysis would have occurred to say yes, green is true, but here's the all the reasons why green is true. So I've got three levels of new security assets I need to 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 understand and protect in some way, and a lot of that is electronic. That might be that may be 15 petabytes of, of video data. And how do I protect that differently than I would have had I not used it to do facial recognition on people coming into my airport? Like I- well, well,
2: yeah, and I, and I think part of, the, part of that challenge is um, how, do I, how do I create a log of what was used so that, I can, so that I can recreate it if the information that I get out doesn't provide the response that I'm looking for? Right, and, and I think that becomes really critical, right, especially in, in, in um, like every single piece of that, I need to change the other pieces in my, my testing to ensure that I'm getting the answers that make the most sense for the, the data science question. Right. Right, I need to change the algorithm without ever changing the input data. I need to change the input data without changing the algorithm. So how do I properly document that? How do I properly secure that? How do I properly protect that? And how do, I, how do I de-risk the data itself so that I'm not providing the same documentation and protection over data that ultimately is going to get me in trouble, forcing me to later change the data while I'm still in the kind of development process and ultimately you know, cause damage to the scientific process I'm trying to use on what theoretically Will be, will be the output that informs my business moving forward. right? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine anything worse than spending 18 months going through a really in-depth um, algorithmic creation for artificial intelligence and machine learning only to find, oh, hey, you can't use any of that data moving forward because regardless of test data, it's not de-risked. And as of today, legislation has forced us to delete that data. Right. Cool, so I have to rerun all of those tests to some to some new set of data, right? That, it, that has been properly de-risked. de-risked. I would say um, a, getting a clear understanding of what de-risking your data means should be on the top list of, of those working in data and analytics today.
1: Do you think compliance will be extended in the future, maybe not in 2020, but extended in the future to envision a world where you have to detail data lineage from the point you create it to its ever to its to any use for any reason um, going forward all the way up to the outcome, yes. including any algorithms that uh, might actually learn from other data to produce different outcomes. So essentially imagine an AI world where um, the, the algorithm is learning on its own. Um, And, you know, every once in a while, you're going to say, hey, tell me what new things you've learned, because you've augmented the algorithm to support that. And those new things you've learned actually was using the data differently. Therefore, the lineage of that data from the point of creation is, in fact, different. And if that's true, do I now need to tell the provider of that data, the end consumer, that I used it differently? Um, I would say the answer should be yes.
2: The reality is probably maybe. <laughs> right, right. I mean, uh, I personally think what we should be doing today is everything possible to treat data as evidence. Right, right, and therefore chain of custody, data lineage, um, should be a key priority in any um, in any data team. Right, right. I, I think that's I think that's clearly part of data lifecycle management. Um, we do a really poor job of that today. We do an exceptionally poor job of that today, um, and I think probably not 2021. I don't think it'll be required. 2025 is likely. 2020, 2030, absolutely. Right. Um, and, and so our best bet really is to do it today. It's like it's like the advice that I've given on um, GDPR.
1: Hmm.
2: Right. I've said it more than once. Um, GDP, The goal of GDPR was to ensure that we are good data custodians. We have not been good data custodians. Ultimately, even if you are not subject to GDPR, GDPR is a really good series of guideposts to help you understand whether you're being a good data custodian and really getting you into a position where when whatever the version, you know, photocopy um, clone of GDPR does hit your geography, does hit your um, legislature, does hit, you know, impacting your business, you're better prepared for it. What we really don't wanna do is is be in a situation where, hey, guess what's happening in May? GDPR takes effect in May. Oh crap, it's March, what do we do? I don't know, (laughs) right? And yet that's what we saw time and time again in companies who who simply ignored GDPR uh, again and again and again, right? Failed to prioritize GDPR again and again and again. And then when it was all said and done, In one year, the fines from GDPR were greater than every other governance um, policy legislation combined for their history. Mm -hmm. In one year, Google's fine, just Google was double all of HIPAA's fines for the previous five years added together, it was double. And Google was the third or fourth Highest fine, not the highest fine under GDPR.
1: So this has been a tax collection scheme the entire time, was- <laughs> <laughs> right?
2: Right. Um, I mean, it, the takeaway should be: um, we're bad at managing data, we're bad at managing privacy, and it that should be as important as keeping the website up. That should be as important as email functioning. That should be critical to the business, right? If you wouldn't let your financial, you know, your billing system go down, right? Then you should treat data the same way. I don't know that any of us really ever want to be in a situation where we've got a $50 million fine or 50 euro fine, which is even worse, right? $62 million, I think. because we simply failed to manage our data with any reasonable sense of honest, you know, concern.
1: Right. So sticking with security. So next topic would be um, knowing the breadth of deployments. Do we have to have a breadth of security uh, technologies or solution sets so if i have data that's both originated or consumed and created at the edge consumed and created the data center consumed and created in my supply chain consumed and created with my consumers like on their phones and of course uh created and consumed in the cloud but that is a lot of potential points of problems. also that's a lot of trust too yeah so what right. what do I do? I assume there's not a single solution set for that. It's not a single oh, no. technology.
2: No, but, but, but again, I would go back to strategy, right? Yeah. Um, everything you've described says, I trust the endpoint. I trust the server. I trust the application. I trust the user. I trust the mobile device. I trust the non-mobile device. I trust, right? right. Um, and so I would really, like, if, especially if you're starting at scratch, right? I would really start looking at who, do, what do I trust and why do I trust it? And is there a way... To no longer trust it, right, right. Um, how do I remove trust from the thing, and really try to reduce my security footprint as much as possible?
1: So, what's the what's the practical implementation of zero trust? What does zero trust mean from a from a realistic implementation? Does that mean I have far noisier transactions because I'm constantly um authenticating and authorization authorizing every single communication
2: Uh, i mean not necessarily right the the theory in zero trust is just that i don't trust whatever the thing is right? right um i don't trust the application to to be honest and therefore i'm going to add an inspection layer right right or i'm going to move where the transaction takes place, right? I'm, no, I'm going to use different technology that forces a different methodology for, for the transaction taking place. For instance, if I were to say, um, I no longer trust my endpoints, therefore all of my users, desktops, laptops, mobile devices, whatever, are now zero trust devices. Right. That does not mean I install, I, I push a security tool to them. That means I pull, I remove their ability to create data. Hmm. Right. And so I force them to go through something like Citrix as an example or right. VDI. Right. I can no longer trust them. So I need all I all I give them the ability to do is reach the edge. And because I don't trust the device, I also have to assume that the device is compromised. And therefore, things like multi-factor authentication are always required to access anything. I cannot trust that someone doesn't have a keylogger installed. And therefore, right. I have to have some other way to authenticate them. I can't trust just the two-piece authentication. I need multi-factor authentication.
1: But does that mean online all the time? Does that mean I can't in a plane do work, both consume and create data? Not necessarily, right? Like
2: there's ways to do, um, to cache VDI, yeah. so that you can in fact do some work. Um, I would argue the reality is I'd like to see a place where, yes, we say no. You cannot create work on the plane. Read a book, watch a movie, listen to music, take <laughs> right. a nap. That might like, be
1: in a, a cultural opinion. <laughs> disconnect from
2: disconnect from your your work when you're on a plane. Flying is already hard enough.
1: <laughs> right.
2: it's already impactful enough. Right, but the reality is, yeah, there are ways around that. Right, um, and, and even in even in a fully fully work from home. Um, you don't have a hundred percent of people flying. Right. So start with zero trust. I trust none of them. Right. Not a hundred percent exception, which is kind of how we operate today. Right. I trust all of them to a certain level. No, no, no. Let's start with zero trust. I trust none of them and then start working in your edge cases. Okay, cool. So if I have to trust 50 of them, if I have to trust a hundred of them, if I have to trust 200 of them, If you have to trust more than 200, find a different job, but let's just say I have to trust 200 of them, right? That's an awful short exception list compared to 10,000, right? And then we can look at technology. How do I create some trust within that 200? And if we're being honest, and and you and I know this from, from our last position, very, very, very little of the traveling sales job requires VPN access. Right. Right? right. The reality is, as long as the mobile app for expenses worked, I didn't connect to the VPN at all. Right. It was only once that, that failed. Right. It was only once we no longer had the ability to do expenses that way. And I had to log into a corporate system to do it that I used a VPN. Otherwise, I did not use the VPN.
1: So here's a highly political question. OK. Do I trust public cloud? So public cloud, I'm talking, I'm talking the big guys here, the Googles, the Microsofts, the AWSs, they clearly have a far bigger infrastructure with far bigger security concerns than I'll have as an individual entity. They have far bigger security teams and they spend far more money on security. Does that mean that I should trust them? Does that mean that their posture will likely be better than mine? And therefore, whatever they've implemented, assuming I'm, consuming those security services is sufficient. Uh, I think a nuanced
2: answer is the only appropriate answer in this case, Okay, right? Um, I think if your security team is small, say sub 10 people, sub 30 people, sub 100 people, I think the answer is clearly yes, emphatically yes, right? I think if you're, it's likely if you, if if security isn't your business um, and you're in the mid tier, I think the answer is is an emphatic yes, right? The fact is they do have far more people. It does not mean I've then moved security to someone else's problem and I can now ignore it. What it does mean is the underlying components, the things you cannot touch are far better secured than the things you likely can touch, Right. right? Because you simply don't have the number of people necessary to provide a parity level of security with the infrastructure that you're acquiring or the applications that you're acquiring from public cloud. Right. Now, what? if I'm Wells Fargo, Bank of America, UBS, um, uh, top five telco, the answer is likely maybe, but a far more nuanced investigation of that is going to really have to occur. Right. If I have a huge security team, and I can control every single device on my network, it's likely that simply by scale, uh, I'm able to provide a better level of security, a more precise level of security, I should say, than public cloud.
1: The pushback I get when I give them a a like answer is this. If I can't trust them on resiliency, in other words, they go down um, and they've impacted my business, how could I possibly trust them on security? So so my response to that is simple. What car do you
2: drive? <laughs> right. You drive a Mercedes, right? Yep, yep. Okay, not on the top 10 list of most reliable vehicles, yet yeah, you still lock your car, right? That's true, I do. Like, I mean, if your car breaks, if you get a flat tire, you don't suddenly go, well, screw this, I'm no longer locking my doors.
1: But I use one of those bars to put on the steering wheel. Really? <laughs> I forget, what, no, I'm kidding. I forget <laughs> what they were called, but... I had some point in my life, I have used one of those bars.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're comparing apples and oranges in a rather huge way. Right. And, and that tends to be the challenge, right? Um, I don't, the reason, the, the, and I, I haven't seen, I've seen zero resiliency problems with public cloud. And I do want to be clear about that. Yep. The, the, the equipment that public cloud uses does not create a resiliency problem. Quite the opposite. It's very resilient. Right. The problem is a people problem. Right? The problem is a complexity problem.
1: management, change management.
2: Right, right. <laughs> and, and ultimately, um, so far, we haven't seen the same people problem within the security teams of any of the public cloud providers. Right. And so I would caution that throwing the baby out with the bathwater is probably not a strategically optimal, you know, ideal.
1: That and it's hilarious when I, especially an enterprise who says, I can't trust the resiliency of public cloud when they're currently running like 96.5 uptime. Right. right. (laughs) The enterprise is like, they're not running six nines right now. So I'm not sure why you have, you know, such a high expectation of public cloud when you're not even attempting to achieve that kind of resiliency. Right.
2: Uh, And I will say like, if you're gonna get to the point where you're gonna measure risk that way, you also need to really start to measure the uptime on a more granular level. Right. right? We don't have one uptime. We have 500 uptimes because we have a thousand applications. Right. right. So so you really need to be able to measure your uptime accordingly. Um, I'd be shocked if any modern enterprise has a five-year 96.5% total uptime, right? right? They probably have some sort of outage at some point that has brought the you know that 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 gives you that number but no i don't know of any organization that would have a total outage to 96 you know a total enterprise outage to 96.5%
1: right.
2: right it's far more likely that they're at you know some form that, that they're at 99 point some odd percent enterprise and that they've had applica- major application outages that have pushed an individual application down right sure. but and I think that also really changes the, we talked about this about this before, I think that really changes um, how you look at public cloud and, and why and where you should look at public cloud. Right? Um, I, and I think the same thing plays into security. Right? If you look to yourself, um, security is not one thing. right? It's not how secure is my enterprise, it's how, sec- how granularly secure are all of these points, are all of these places. And I, and, I, and I think, again, where, that's where um, a zero trust philosophy really comes into play. Um, I, I can't look at it as I've placed a lock on the outside door of my digital network and therefore I'm secure. Rather, I trust no piece of this at any point of the transport. How do I ensure that I've mitigated the risk? Because that's all security is, is risk mitigation. I've really mitigated the risk at every possible
1: point. Right. So last topic in security, uh, what's, what are we seeing trend-wise in terms of physical security side? So security within IOT devices or security within a building? How is the ITOT sort of convergence of either data or the operations of an actual machine are changing how we think about security? both solution set and technology and what we need to do as a CIO and CTO. So I've got a friend um, that I recommend
2: anyone that has physical security questions. I highly recommend this referral. Go on YouTube and watch some of the talks by Deviant Alam.
1: Deviant Alam. Okay.
2: Um, He is a uh, DEF CON alum um, who Spends a lot of his time traveling around the world educating people on the challenges with physical security. To answer your question, we do a really, 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 really bad job with physical security. All right. Um, he has a video. He's he's out one night um, with his wife. They had they had left a bar and he's carrying a drink, and they need to go to the ATM in the vestibule of a bank for some reason. Right. right? They walk up and the door is locked. He. Takes his drink, pulls the straw out, blows, and pops the door open. It actually happened; it's on video, right? Um, and then he's he's in. He's he's passed what previously was thought to have been secure, right? Right. We do a very, very, very poor job with physical security of any type, right? Right. Of of absolutely any type, and. I have to say, um, and I think that's part of, part of a risk conversation too, right? And that is identifying your risk. Are we likely to be penetrated digitally or are we likely to be penetrated physically, right? What is the likelihood of each of, the answer to both is yes, but the question is, what is the likelihood of each of those, right? Where have we made the keys the easiest Right? Where do we have the least number of controls? Keeping in mind that for someone to invade physically, they have to like leave their keyboard, right? right? They have to get in a vehicle. They have to arrive at your location, right? There's, some, there's some, some additional effort required there. At the same time, there's almost no physical security that you could consider hmm, better than adequate would be the best way that I, that I would put it, right? <laughs> Far from perfect. So you can't. You're not going to get perfect with physical security. However, you can mitigate the possible damage, right? Um, and it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick, but it's likely not going to be ridiculously expensive either.
1: So what you're saying is Mission Impossible and Ocean's Eleven are a lot easier than what they're portraying on film. Um, I mean, <laughs> parts of it. Let's let's put it that way, right? Uh, then, I mean, if we
2: think back, how many buildings have you been to where the secured door had a huge gap between the doors? Right. Right? Like the doors, it's double doors. They closed. And when they closed, they rattled back and forth in the latch mechanism. Right. Right. Okay. That's insecure. <laughs> that's completely insecure. Right. right? How, many, how many times have we left the office carrying our badges in something that wasn't shielded from being scanned. Right. Right, I would say all of the time.
1: <laughs> right. It's on my person right. generally.
2: Right, cuz even if belt. it's in your backpack, even if it's in your pocket, even if someone yeah. can't see it, right? They can still scan it. Right. And then let's take it let's take it to an even worse level. How many times have you run into someone in a in a restaurant, bar, sporting event, walking down the street and gone, "Oh, hey, you work for insert company here." And they went, "Yeah, how did you know?" Well, Bob, the way I know that is, even though we've never met, your badge is right there and it says, hey, I'm Bob Miller and I work for HP. <laughs> right. Right, or IBM or insert whatever company here. Right? If we're enabling those things, we're also increasing the possible risk when it comes to physical security mm-hmm. because we've now told them who a valid user is, what the company is, and here's my badge, please scan it and I don't have to be that close to, to make a duplicate of the badge and the systems are not that are are, frankly are just not that good.
1: Is the bigger risk ill affecting the physical attributes of the machine or accessing the data of the machine and or the data of the network because you now have access to the machine? Uh,
2: I mean, if I can get physical access to the network, my ability to find a, a, a soft spot increases tenfold. And, and I think that's really kind of the valid point. Um, there's a lot I can do to the machine itself to ensure if someone steals the machine, they still can't access the data. Right. But if the machine's powered on and thinks that it's working and I've connected to it with a keyboard, monitor, and mouse, I got my little KVM connected, right. there's a lot more I can attempt to do. Right. Insert a Raspberry Pi in between. There's a lot more I can attempt to do. If, if, your, secu- if your network security extends to your wireless and extends to your firewalls, and I can walk in and put, a, and, and put a, a, a Wi-Fi pineapple in place, right? If I can do a man-in-the-middle attack, if I can connect my own wireless to, to a spare network jack, right. right? If I can insert a device in between an authorized computer and the wall jack and it still works, right? You've now given me an entry point that may very well bypass three
1: layers of security. right? And I think we ignore physical security a lot. I had an interesting debate with somebody on a panel last week about uh, the federator distributed nature of sort of edge and where they thought it was going and they thought it was um, like all applications all data uh, will be you know created distributed run executed at the edge there won't be any cloud there won't be any data center and won't all everything be awesome. Uh, I, I was not of that opinion. I love that Carlos and I are both shaking our heads no. I was not of that opinion. Uh, you know, th- they had a valid perspective that, you know, one would think it'd be more secure because you're, you know distributing the wealth, right? There's only so much data on each edge part. And therefore, if you don't have access to all the edge parts, then you can't see the holistic, holistic picture of that borrower or of that client customer. You know, I buy some of that logic. No. But practically it's not possible, right? Practically one has to do analytics on more than one customer, more than one store, more than one transaction, more than one product. And therefore a lot of that work will likely occur centrally or in the cloud based on a data I have to now gather outside of the organization or at a scale I don't have within my organization. So, so it's much more likely to be diverse and not edge only. So, so what's funny is what that person
2: described is all trust. Right. I trust all my devices, <laughs>
1: right.
2: right? Cause I have to, if, if, if that's where, where, where that person feels security is then I have to trust all my devices. Right. The reality is edge computing forces zero trust. We didn't think about it before that. Right. right? But I'm putting something in a closet I don't necessarily control. I'm putting something at an edge point I don't necessarily control. I'm gathering data from places I don't necessarily have ideal control. If, if my trust is zero trust then I do the processing necessary there and I keep no data locally. I analyze the data, the results of the ant of the analysis get sent back somewhere where it matters. It does not matter at the edge. If the edge device was destroyed, if the edge device was stolen, if the edge device was damaged, or God forbid, if the edge device was compromised, right? None of that changes. And that edge device does not have any better access to my network than any other device external
1: to my network including some random hackers laptop and i could spoof being an edge device correct i could be another one of your ten thousand, and you have no idea correct and now i have full access as if i was the original device correct
2: trust nothing and and you know as to the physical security trust nothing needs to be inside your physical locations as well right Right. I need to trust nothing that's on my campus. If it's not physically within the data center, I should have the same philosophy as though it was a work from home device. Right. Why, why, why do it any different? All that does is, is add another layer of security practice. No, no, let's get the layers down as low as we can. The few things we trust and the infinite things we don't trust and simply push the infinite things we don't trust outside of our layer of trust.
1: Well, Carlos, that was a good part too.
0: So, after listening to all this that you guys were talking, the leaders that will be listening to this may think, "Okay, how do I share this with them? My technical teams. What will be a recommendation that you guys can give?" So, the executive, the CIO, the CTO is gathering all this information that we're sharing. What can they tell their technical teams so they can start getting ready, prepare, do some research so they can support any initiatives that could fall under this area? Well,
2: that is going to be really hard to sum up because this has <laughs> been a, 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 this has actually been very deep for us. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to be almost strictly strategic, right? Almost strictly opinion based, and and frankly, we went a little bit deep on this. So I would say. <laughs> Um, Break it up into parts. Pick some of your teams that you want to have some idea of kind of the governance landscape, right? And say, hey, I'd really like you guys to spend some time understanding what do these things mean? What does CCPA mean? What does GDPR mean? If you just started with those two, you'd probably be in an okay position. Um, And what has been happening within our own government, our own legislature to kind of address the issues addressed by those two things. And then put together something, some advice that you would give to me as the leader on what the company should do to kind of prepare. Just like your top five bullet items. Don't go deep. Just the top five bullet items that you think we should do. Right? Where do where do you see a flaw? And if you've got eleven teams that work for you as a CIO, you probably have eleven end teams that you know big bulky end teams that work for you. Um, you, you should get back about. 55 responses if each of those 11 teams give you five, um, of which two-thirds will be duplicated, so you probably will end up with about 20 really good things that you could do today that those 11 teams see as low-hanging fruit. If we duplicate that and you go to the security and you go to everybody, same teams, inside and outside of security, and you say, we need to move to zero trust We need to move to trust nothing. Let's assume every device, every application and every user is cheating on us. They've cheated in the past and we know it so we don't trust them anymore. How, How should we change the way we operate to mitigate the risk assuming none of these things can be trusted, right? And then I would do the exact same thing for risk. Don't give it to everybody. Just pick one person from each of those 11 teams, right? if it's a massive team pick two people right but but mitigate it right and then do the same thing with risk where do you see our risk right if we define risk as the things that damage that cost us money and the things that damage our reputation what are the 10 things that you would see right same thing with physical security hey i need you know x number of people to be we're going to call them hall monitors i want you to spend the next 3 months Jiggling every doorknob, wiggling everything, and frankly, watching the Deviant Allum channel, because let's not get overburdened. Um, everything that that guy points out that, that he says, please, dear God, don't do this, I want you to find every one of those that we've done and let me know. And let's put together a list. At the end of, let's say, 90 days, right? Because people have other jobs to do too. At the end of 90 days, you'll probably have 100 things that are low hanging fruit that you could do to immediately. And probably inexpensively shore up your enterprise and make it more secure, both digitally and physically, more better in, in a position to handle and handle and manage governance, and have a better understanding of what you need to do to de-risk the, the enterprise with low, for the low-hanging fruit. It's not going to be thorough. But if you start that, you'll start the process. And then I would simply do the exact same thing for the next quarter, only rotate the responsibilities. So the same person doesn't do governance twice in a row, right? One, you'll get a different perspective. So you get a different response and it won't be the same 25 things again. And two, you'll you'll educate yet another person on your team to that particular event. At the end of 2021, you'll be in a far better position than when you started, as long as you're taking activity. Plus, all of your employees will now feel like they've been enabled to affect the organization positively.
1: I have nothing more to add. I agree with everything (laughs) Harold (laughs) said.
0: That's been an awesome summary. And my friends, as always, make sure that you take the time not only to listen, summarize it like uh, Howard mentioned on your own words, and share with your teams with other folks because the idea is that we can continue to grow as leaders so we don't get caught when something happens so make sure you subscribe you share and we'll see you on our next episode